the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete had this chant when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the toppermost of the poppermost. And I say, right. And we'd all sort of cheer up. Nothing's gonna stop us now, lads. We're going straight to the top. The toppermost of the poppermost. <laughs> Welcome to November of 1963. Toppermost of the Poppermost, I'm Ed Chen. I'm Kid O'Toole. And I'm Martin Quibell. Our feature this week, well, what's coming into the British charts is the Rolling Stones cover of I Want to Be Your Man. Well, is it a cover or is it a song they gave away? You know, they gave it to the Stones first. The Stones recorded it first, but the Beatles recorded it within the same week. So, you know, it could be either. Yep, but it definitely marked a big turning point in their career. Their first hit was a real landmark for the Stones. And it's a song that shows all of the different members of the Rolling Stones doing their best, down to Brian Jones's great slide guitar. Absolutely, great bass, too. And they like the song much better than Come On. Yes. <laughs> That's for sure. Their version is a bit more rocking than the Beatles' version. The Beatles did give it to Ringo. And definitely Mick Jagger's vocals on this are uh, a little nastier, I'd say, than <laughs> than Ringo's. Love the bass on uh, Want to Be Your Man, the, the Stones' version, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great Bill Wyman bass on there. But I thought this almost a grunge sound to the production. I agree. That yeah. was still being produced by Andrew Lugoldum, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. I believe so. And I think Bill Wyman said, you know, we need to dirty this up a bit to make it sound more like us. And I think they accomplished that. A sound which goes all the way down to the single we just got from them featuring Sir Paul, Bite My Head Off. Yeah. Yeah, that's got a very grungy, dirty sound to it as well. It does. Yeah. I mean, they really do have that sound a number of tracks on Hackney Diamonds, in fact. So, yeah, they obviously never let go of that sound in many ways. It's a good album, actually. Yes, it is. All right. So, I mean, we decided to do covers of the Beatles from 62 to 63. We could have done it as songs they gave away, but we've done songs they gave away before. And so we wanted to take it a little bit different direction. We've each picked a couple of covers from that era. Martin, you want to start? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll start with Billy Jay's version of Do You Want to Know a Secret? Because it's, you know, got a nice vocal there by Billy, and I like the Dakota's backing music to it. It's very similar to the original, but a bit sweeter. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Billy's crooning just ever so slightly here. For sure. But yeah, I do like his voice. I think he really nails the pop elements of that song. And yes, I agree. The Dakotas do a nice job backing him on that track. I mean, there's a reason why Brian picked the Dakotas. He was really good at picking musicians to back his singers with. Yeah, I mean, we've told that story before, and Brian has to take all the credit for choosing the way that Billy would be backed. And, you know, I kind of wonder what the previous coasters were like they didn't get signed so who knows yep that's true all right you have one more martin i was going to pick the rolling stones i want to be your man but bypassing that one i actually do like the bg's version of please please me which i don't know whether it's because of the novelty value of it that's pulling me in and it made me smile with the video of him with the two really young Robin and Morris. And it's weird looking at them at that age. Was it released on vinyl anywhere? I don't know. Probably Australia. 
Yeah, I was trying to find it too, because I loved it as well. And uh, what I liked about it too is in addition to, oh my God, they were so young. But what I like is, yes, it's a cover, but they were playing around with the harmonies a little bit. They weren't exactly copying the Beatles. I mean, it was close. You know, they were trying to put their stamp on it a little bit. So that's what I really liked about that cover. I mean, it was the Bee Gees, you know, even then they were trying to create their own harmonic style. And so, you know, it was very subtle. Yeah. I mean, they would play with the harmony style all the way through the 60s to the early 70s until they got to like 72 with, is it Jive Talk? Was that 72? Yeah, it was circa that era, yeah. But yeah, they'd be playing around with the vocal styling until around then. And then when they got to Jive Talking in that era, that's yeah. when they hit what everybody now looks back to as quintessential Bee Gees harmonies. But even back then, they were playing with it. I mean, even at that early stage. So yeah, I love that too. That was a great pick. The Beatles got the harmonies from the Everly Brothers and they hear the Bee Gees kind of taking it in a slightly different direction. Absolutely, yeah. All right, Kit, you've got a couple here, three to be exact. Yes, really interesting picks that I found. A couple of these are examples of Beatles covers that were also early versions of these sort of copies. Labels that were in America, maybe the equivalent of KTEL, that put out these sound-alike records. And one of them is credited as the very first cover of a Beatles song, and that's Love Me Do by The Sparrows. Love, love me do You know I love you I'll always be true So please Love me do Released in 62. And I haven't been able to find many details about the Sparrows. If anybody out there knows anything about the Sparrows, you know, would love to hear from you. Love me do decent job of the harmonies. Beatles harmonies are not the easiest to duplicate. I think it's a impressive for what it is, you know, a sound alike cover. It's a, it's a pretty good version um, for its time. Uh, it's a bit more country-ish. As I've mentioned to you guys, you go and listen to it on YouTube. They exaggerate the Buddy Holliness of it. Yeah, it definitely has a tinge of Buddy Holly, that's true. For the first cover, and for this kind of sound-alike, they do a decent job. I was kind of impressed. Uh, And and then before you go on to your next choice, we need to mention that, well, Jimmy Nickel was on not this record. The Sparrows were in all likelihood just four studio musicians brought together. Right. I mean, realistically. Jimmy Nickel did an album of... Beatles covers, and that's part of the reason why he was brought in for the Australian tour, when they needed someone fast who knew the material. Exactly. And that leads me to my next pick, which is another example of a studio band that put out these Sound of Light records, and that is The Typhoon. And they were on a label called Embassy Records, and that was a budget record label from the UK, and they put out cover versions of current hit songs, and they were exclusively sold at Woolworth shops. They were active actually only until about 1965, but The Typhoons put out a lot of these cover uh, songs on this label. And the one I picked was From Me to You, because again, it's pretty good replica. I got everything that you want, like a heart that's also true. Just call on me and I'll send it along with a from me to you. What I liked about it was that, first of all, the harmonies, again, not easy to duplicate Beatles harmonies, and they did an impressive job of, of duplicating them, but also the drummer on this version did some slightly different drum fills. He managed to sneak in some slightly different ones, so I was impressed that he 
did a little bit of that. Didn't exactly copy Ringo's uh, drumming on it, but pretty good cover. All right, and you got one more? And one more, which is my favorite of the three, which is I saw her standing there by Ray Columbus and the Invaders, which was a New Zealand rock group. Uh, They were active from about 64 to 66, and they had their biggest hit in Australia with their cover of a song called She's a Mod in 1964. But before that, they released this cover, which I think is a lot of fun. It has a good guitar solo in the middle of it, solid drumming, good harmonies. Sound like they're having fun. I mean, they, and yes, it's a replica of instrumental break when you hear them screaming and all. I mean, it is like the Beatles, but they do sound like they're having fun. The lead vocal, is it as good as Paul's? No. I give them credit for enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I would agree with that. Ali just listened to it. He's like, yeah, not as great a vocalist, but there's certainly something there. And the... Vocal is better than my first choice. Another cover of Saw Her Standing There. Duffy Power with the Graham Bond Quartet. Bond Quartet, you may ask. Ed, who are they? (laughs) (laughs) On base, Mr. Jack Bruce. He sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On drums, Mr. Ginger Baker. (laughs) Didn't he do some percussion for wings? (laughs) (laughs) Graham Bond played the organ, and Big Jim Sullivan played the guitar there. Duffy Power is singing the vocals. It's kind of a loungy version of Saw Her Standing There, but it got enough notice that, well, Graham Bond and Ginger Baker, we don't know who else was with them, actually played this on a Pop Go the Beatles with the Beatles. Wow. It's a fascinating cover. I do like the backing track. It's so different. It's such a weird take on it that I kind of like it. The the lead vocals, yeah, don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I do like the backing track. There's no rhythm section that is anything like Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce. There's something about those two that just take songs and they take them somewhere completely different, just the way that they play together. Right. Although you say that, the backing is nothing like you might expect if you were to just tell someone, oh, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker did a cover of this in 1963. You might imagine something and it's nothing like anything you might imagine. No. Absolutely not. You would not listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker totally picked them out here. Yeah, it's so different. It's not I saw her standing there with the music of White Room. No. (laughs) (laughs) Which would be great. Yes. (laughs) My second choice, Lonnie Mack, who we've spoken of before and who we're actually going to see a little bit later on this month, did a cover of From Me to You. This would probably be after the Del Shannon cover, but it got noticed in 64, but it was almost certainly recorded in late 63. It's Lonnie Mac. The guitars are the thing. It is just tremendous. Yeah, he is the man. This is one of the other things I love about doing this show is I had certainly heard of Lonnie Mac and all, but I've really 
gotten to hear more of his stuff since we've done this show and incredible. You yeah, know, lots and, of really great guitars. It is also very much in the Lonnie Mac style. It's ever so slightly countryish, but it still rocks pretty hard. It really does. Yeah, and he, you know, this is another case of a cover where he puts his own spin on it, and it works. All right, and the last one that I want to bring up, we looked at this list. All of the known Beatles covers from 1962 and 1963, there were nearly a hundred of them, which is kind of an amazing little bit of detail there. Yeah, that early on. That's impressive. And out of that hundred, there were about a dozen which were in foreign languages. So I picked one of those. Gina Dobra with Ich komm nicht los von dir. For me to you in German. Your German is fantastic, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, thank that you. That was very good. It's a fairly faithful cover with a girl singing only okay on it. Yeah. But it's different. But it's still fairly faithful to the original in arrangement. Oh, it is. Yeah, but different to hear it in German, for sure. You go look up this gal. Oh, my. She had the uh, beehive. She had the cat's eye glasses. The perfect representation of what a girl was supposed to look like in 1963. I was going to say she was right in fashion. Absolutely. That's our look at... Beatles covers from 1962 to 1963. And of course, there would be nothing but lots more of them over the ensuing years. In fact, one could do an entire podcast on Beatles covers. So how would you be able to make a podcast about that? Well, when we started coming up with Toppermost of the Poppermost, we were thinking exactly the same thing. As we were experienced with online recording through Zencaster. We looked at what the service provided in their own podcast hosting services. Already through our experiences of using their online recording for the show when they was fab, which Ed has presented for many years now, we were already aware of their ability to provide separate recordings for each participant, all of which are recorded on each person's own devices in order to cut down on any signal degradation. The automated editing is helpful even though we still do more editing afterwards. It still helps, though, by cutting down the time spent on editing by a number of hours. As with a few services, it places the episodes onto all streaming providers for you, and their online diagnostics are easy to use. With the recording process and the editing services provided, you have everything you need to create, edit, and distribute your podcast every step of the way at an affordable price. If you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code TOPPERMOST, T-O-P-P-E-R-M-O-S-T, you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences that we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. All right, so we are now on to the British charts for November of 1963. The first week of November was November the 7th, You'll Never Walk Alone, which we discussed last month. It's at number one, and it would stay at number one for the next two weeks and fall to number two. At number three, There She Loves You, it would stay at number three for one more week, and then it would rise again. It would go to number two, and it would end the month at number one. That's something. Wow. Boy, that's kind of unusual for a song to go up and down like that. That's pretty cool. At number four, Sugar and Spice by The Searchers, which would rise to number two, then fall to number three and number six. At number five, Do You Love Me by Brian Poole and the Tremolos, which would fall to number eight, number 12, and number 16. At number seven, Blue Bayou, Mean Woman Blues, the Roy Orbison dual A-side hit, which would rise and then fall over the ensuing weeks. At number eight, I Who Have Nothing by Shirley Bassey, produced by George Martin, which would fall to number nine, rise back to number eight, and fall to number 11. 
At number 13, Hello Little Girl by The Foremost, which would fall to number 20, 23, and 24. At number 22, Mule Train by our buddy Frank Ifield. Our friend. Our good old buddy. Two more weeks on the charts. It would fall from number 22 to number 36 and number 37. At number 23, Cliff Richard with Don't Talk to Him. A new song, which was co-written by Cliff Richard. The song was composed by Shadows guitarist Bruce Welch, and then uh, he asked Cliff Richard if he'd write the lyrics. And at first, I guess Cliff wasn't excited about writing the lyrics, so he said he was kind of uh, scared of writing, but then... He decided, okay, I'll give it a try. And he took it back to the cottage where he was staying. He said they were in Blackpool at the time. And he just finally said, all right, I'm just going to sit down and play my guitar and come up with these lyrics. And it ended up with this. If some guy tells you I don't care and tells you lies while I'm not there, don't talk to him not a great song number one i wouldn't be surprised if cliff's actually playing acoustic on this it sounds like it's got more than two guitars it sounds like it's got almost like hank playing a lead part and then i'm guessing that bruce and cliff are both playing rhythm parts on electric and acoustic that's what it sounds like to me Hmm. I like the electric guitar. Yes. Yeah. That's one thing I do like about this record. The rest of it, it's a little bit croony. Funny you should say that because, I mean, Bruce would carry on working with Cliff a lot over the years. Even when Cliff wasn't working with The Shadows, Bruce would be one of Cliff's main record producers and he would write songs and source songs for Cliff as well. Um, but whenever the shadows reunited in later years they very often included this and actually the live version sounds a bit better than the recorded version i mean i will say i think cliff's voice sounds strong on this track i think it's a beautiful vocal melody on this yeah i think he sounds strong on it it is poppy and it almost sounds to me like it's imitating the mersey sound a bit but yeah i bet it'd be interesting to, to hear live i could see that martin that would sound a little better live and you if know, you go on youtube you can find a bunch of different versions through the years this is one that he did keep in his repertoire interesting okay you yeah, have to check that out all right at number 24 the mersey beats with its love that really counts would fall to 31 36 and 44 at number 27 searching by the hollies would rise to 26, then fall to 33 and 49. At number 34, I'll Keep You Satisfied by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, which would rise all the way up to number 11 the next week, then up to number 9 and number 4. We've been talking about the rise of these songs. The Cliff song would go from 23 to 7 to 5 to 3, and here you're going from 34 to 11. So it wasn't just the Beatles who would make a big splash in the second week. Yeah. You know, I mean, they that's get on the charts thing. and then rise 20 or 30 slots the next week. I've got an idea that possibly so many people probably bought it. And then once it hit the charts in the lower numbers and people probably heard it or saw it on chart shows or on television shows, whatever, perhaps more people saw it or heard it and thought, oh, I like that. And then you get an influx of so many people buying it in its next week. And that's why you've got that huge boost, perhaps. At number 36, Wishing by Buddy Holly, which would have one more week on the charts. It would fall from 36 to 46. At number 39, You Were Made for Me by Freddie and the Dreamers, a Mitch Murray song. It's another one of those that would have one of those big, huge rises in the second week. 39 to 22 to 11 to 7. Now, Freddie, he keeps singing the same song over and over again, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the trees were made for little things to sing. I'm fine. I'm the sun was made to burn so bright and white. The sky, I, I, pretty eyes were never made to cry. They were made to sing. He's not going to win Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars either, is he? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, folks, you have to go on YouTube 
They did this song on Blue Peter. Blue Peter is a British children's show which has been on the air in various forms since the early 60s. I'm familiar with it because it's one of those places where Doctor Who stuff constantly got shoved off to throughout the 60s and 70s. They shared the same sets. And it's a legislating in furniture. It's a stainless steel shelf set, and it's been designed by a very famous gentleman. It's Ringo Starr. Hello, Ringo. Welcome Hi. to Blue Peter. Thank you. How long have you been designing furniture now? About 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now, let's see. The exhibition is on at Liberties at the moment, yep. isn't it? And it's free. Anybody yes. can go in. You can all walk in and have a look around. Right. <laughs> oh, they all will now. And will you be exhibiting anywhere else? Um, well, we're negotiating to get a shop, yeah. and then in February we go to France with it, and then we go to America with it. Well, hope it goes all very well. Ringo, thanks very much indeed for coming on oh, Blue no. Peter. It's a pleasure being on Blue Peter. <coughs> it's great, isn't it? Thank you. I'd like another one. Well, listen, Blue Peter is, of course, all about the iconic ship and the badge. Hundreds of thousands of children across the UK have earned one of these, and they're so special because they take a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication. Throughout your music career, you have inspired generations. So, so many fans have loved your work and your music has been absolutely incredible. You changed pop music forever. So on behalf of all of the Blue Peter fans across the UK, we'd like to award you with our highest accolade, Sir Paul McCartney. It is Whoa. the gold Blue Peter gold. badge. Oh my. There you go. That's fantastic. Whoa. Not bad for a first Blue Peter badge, going straight in for the gold. Straight in the gold. <laughs> that is beautiful, too. It's a nice badge. I will wear that with great pride. Will you? Yeah. You've joined a very good club, but... Woo! <laughs> this was yes. a genuine honour. Thank you so, so much. Thank Amazing you. to Lovely meet to you. Lovely to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for the badge, guys. <laughs> yes. I made it. I had never heard of this. Okay, so that's why. But yeah, it, it's a very popular British children's show. And I mean, we've talked a little bit. Even the Beatles did children's shows in the early days. And Paul McCartney in the 70s would do British children's shows on a couple of occasions. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Freddie. <laughs> Hello. Well, that song especially for Petra by, of course, Freddie and the Dreamers. And you'll be singing some more songs later on in the program. They're on a little tiny stage in the Blue Peter studios, and they're doing the Freddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's something. And the hosts of the show are sitting with a dog. Is the dog Blue Peter? That's Petra. The Blue Peter show, one of their things throughout the years is they would have various pets in the studio with them. Petra was the longest running of the Blue Peter pets. She okay. was actually there from more or less the beginning well into the 70s, so... Petra was still around when I was watching it in the late 70s because she passed away and was buried in the BBC garden in the back. Oh. A dog that lives 15 years is a, yes, I a know. good long life. But that's very sweet that they did it. So poor Petra is sitting there and Freddie is kind of singing to the dog. The dog looks very unimpressed, as would I. I mean, I, I felt for this dog. And at the end, Freddie comes over to the dog and kind of tucks it under the chin as he's singing. And I thought Petra was going to bite Freddie. I mean, <laughs> I, and again, I felt for the dog. <laughs> I mean, it is something. You've got to watch it. And oh, yeah, Freddie's doing the jumping and the, you know, the whole thing. And sorry, Freddie and the Dreamers fans. I'm sorry. Well, we're going to start with the apologies. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, it's an okay song. You know, it's very poppy, and it's Mitch Murray. He's not giving Shakespeare a run for his money, that's for sure. Hell no. I, mean, I am reminded of a quote from Chandler Bing on Friends. He, his legs are flailing about as if removed from his body. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the Central Perks pod. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the band has to do, well, they don't do the moves quite as much. Not quite as energetically as Freddie. No. I mean, you know, at least the drummer doesn't have to do any of this. All right. So we move on to the next week, November the 14th. As mentioned, She Loves You was at number three. You'll Never Walk Alone was still at number one. At number 41 was 
the Stones with I Want to Be Your Man, a song which we spoke of briefly at the top of the show, it would go from 41 to 32 to 30. So it, it would have a little rise, but not one of those gigantic 20 to 30 spot rises. But it was still definitely better than their first single. Absolutely. pointed out towards the beginning about brian jones and if you'll just let me just get this one in in the early lineup of the stones i always thought that brian jones was their secret weapon because he was the one who to my mind he always whatever the song needed that was different like in this case with the slide guitar and then later with other instruments he'd be the one who'd suddenly go yeah okay i'll I'll do that and he'd just go for it and do it and play so if you need a sitar in a song yep i'll do that do you need a piano i'll do that saxophone yep i can play that as well off he goes and he plays it yep well i mean and the stones were never the same without him right stones version the beatles version this is one where we can make the comparison Mm. i still got to go with the beatles version me too. I hate to say it. Because, I mean, in a way, it's hard to compare them because they sound so They are different, very different, yes. You know, but I think the Beatles version is just so much, like, tighter. You know, I love Ringo's drums on it. Um, you know, just so, you know, just so powerful. And love the guitars on it, the energy. I've always preferred it. But I like the Stones version in other ways as well, because it is that dirtier sound and Mick Jagger's vocals on it are definitely less shall we say wholesome than ringo's i love brian jones's high harmony on this that's fantastic it is almost kind of a proto-punk thing i guess though i'd have to give the edge to the beatles on this one well i mean we are a beatles associated podcast exactly but i'm not just saying that because it is but i've just always liked it better are you gonna abstain i do think that the beatles version is better but i do really like this and I like the many times where in different interviews, both Jagger and Richards have said that when John and Paul turned up, they both said that it was almost like a school on songwriting, that they saw what was going on that close and they're able to get like an inkling of how to go from there with their own songwriting. I have to think you hold a special place in your heart for John Lennon and Paul McCartney because when the Stones started out... Those dudes gave you your first hit song, and I can't even wrap my head around that. Nor can I. Why would they even be kind enough to do that? I don't know if it's kind of... I think that they they felt that they were part and that we were part of something larger and that, and that England was finally uh, coming out with something, and I think they wanted to support us, saying we're not... The, I mean, they're the big-hearted. Yeah, I want to be your man. Yeah, I, they it, came and flogged it to us, and we said, well, take that. <laughs> Here's the Beatles version. Nice. And they gave it to you like this. Yeah. And you guys put the spin on it. <laughs> did you once say to John Lennon, John, you wear your guitar up too high? Yeah, I always did. I told him it was bad for a posture. Later on, uh, they gave us our first big hit in England, which was a song they wrote called I Want to Be Your Man. We were very grateful for that because that really broke us in England. And, um, but the example of the way they wrote and the original way that they, they crafted their songs wasn't lost on us. At number 43, From Russia With Love by Matt Monroe, it would go from number 43 to number 27 to number 20. Matt Monroe is a figure that looms large in Paul McCartney's life. Yes, indeed. And in fact, just in general. I suddenly knew you'd care around. It's through. 
underappreciated artist, I think. I mean, had such an incredible voice, so powerful. And just like in this song particularly, just has one of the most perfect voices you'll hear. And in fact, he worked with George Martin in the 50s. He was one of George Martin's very early acts, certainly one of his earliest musical acts because George was well into comedy at that point. Prior to producing the Peter Sellers album, Songs for Swingin' Sellers in 1959, George asked Monroe to record You Keep Me Swingin', which was kind of a satire of a Frank Sinatra record. My feet are swingin' My head is spinning You've got me dangling on a line You keep me swinging all the time Say yay or nay, dear But either way, dear Please won't you make up your sweet mind Interestingly, I think Monroe and Peter Sellers didn't hit it off right away because I think Peter Sellers was kind of at first making fun of Monroe's style, but Monroe and Martin became lifelong friends and worked together many more times. I think this record is really good. So do I. First of all, just amazingly produced and arranged. And what a voice. It's flawless. I know it's written by Lionel Bart, who was behind the stage musical of Oliver. Is he the producer as well? George Martin was the producer, I believe. Was it George? Oh, good. And you can find all of their collaborations on a 27-song disc from Rhino in the U.S. and Parlophone U.K., called Mm -hmm. Matt Monroe, The George Martin Years. I think I'm going to have to look that up. On that album, this by request, you know, what you're mentioning, there's even a brief contribution from Paul McCartney. They're separate albums. By request came after Matt Monroe passed away. The George Martin, Matt Monroe collection came a little bit later, Later. I do believe. After Matt Monroe passed away, they did put out this by request collection, and there were contributions, little obituaries from Sammy Davis and Frank Sinatra and George Martin and Paul McCartney, who says, Matt was a great artist. Whenever I met him, he was always a pleasure to be with, and I remember him fondly. So he was a fan. Well, I can see why. As I said, what a voice. This was a big song. Not an easy song to do. From a big film. Yeah. When Paul was doing Unplugged, he, he threw in a little joke. Here we go. We'd like to do a song, I think. <laughs> this one is uh, written by Bill Monroe. It's like this. Matt Monroe's dad. Matt Monroe's dad. Well, blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue. And see, yeah, back then that joke went right over my head. (laughs) (laughs) All right, at number 49, just to annoy Kit, Sugar Shack by Jimmy Gilmer and the Fireballs, which. (laughs) But it would not do much on the British charts. 49 to 48 to 45 to 46. So, see, Martin, you guys had better taste. He's brought the PTSD back for you, Kim. It has. I'm, I'm going through flashbacks right now. <laughs> All right. The third week in November, November the 21st, You'll Never Walk Alone is still at number one. She Loves You is back up from number three to number two. At number 38, Glad All Over by the Dave Clark Five. You say that you love me. You say you love me. All I 
we're cooking with gas. <laughs> Great song. What are you doing at the beginning? Who? Okay. <laughs> Sounds like Dave Clark. <laughs> at number 42, Stay by the Hollies. Another Hollies doing a cover of Soul and R&B. Okay, it's not the best, but it's not bad. Definitely does not match the original. I like the R&B, Maurice Williams, the Zodiacs version much, much better. It's definitely sped up, and it plays down the doo-wop aspect a bit of the original, which I don't think is a good idea. And the falsetto on this cannot match the original. The guitar solo is interesting in the middle. I, I like the guitar solo. Yeah. I like yeah. that, but otherwise, eh, you know, just you can't hold a candle to the original. Guitar solo, thumbs up, but... I'm guessing that's Graham probably doing the guitar solo, then Graham Nash. Yeah, I would guess so, yeah. All right, at number 43, Money by Burn Elliott and the Fen Men. First off, what's a Fen Men? <laughs> Is it a man who lives at a Fen? <laughs> there you go, so, mystery solved. <laughs> so it's we, number we, 43, we, it, would, it would rise to number 31 the next week. The Beatles version had already come out. This has no patch on the Beatles version. The Beatles version is probably 40% better, I would say. Just put a number on it. <laughs> I'd say a lot better than that. <laughs> okay, I, I, you, you'll go 60 or 70. It's not bad. Uh, the guitars are, you know, again, we were talking about kind of grungy guitars. I like that a little bit. It's okay. I, I just think it can't hold a candle to Barrett Strong or the Beatles. Mm. singer's voice, uh, Burn Elliott, I, I guess. Too Tame doesn't have enough soul or grit to sell the lyrics except for the scream right before the instrumental break. That's about it. Uh, I just didn't care for this. By the way, in my research, I found out the original name of the group was Burn Elliott and the Blue Caps before changing the name to Ooh. Burn Elliott and the Fenman. What was wrong with the Blue Caps? <laughs> Uh, didn't somebody else use the name the Blue Caps? I think there's a Blue Maybe. Caps already. Yeah. Maybe that's it. The interesting thing about this is it's the only charting version of the song in the UK. The Beatles didn't release it as a single, so... Yeah, that's right, yeah. Un until 1979. <laughs> well, oh, okay. yes! Yeah, flying with the, the Flying yeah. Lizards version, which is, if you've never heard that version, 
go out and search it. You will yes. never hear a version that sounds anything like that. <laughs> Except for the Ringo Starr version. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think it gives I'm... Ringo's version a run for its money. Ringo was clearly aping the Flying Lizards version at least a little bit. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Oh, man. At number 46, a song which is an incredible song. We've talked about this artist in the past in her group, The Springfields. I Only Want to Be With You by Dusty Springfield. It's easily her best known song. And this would have one of those big rises as it rose from number 46 to number 25 the next week. Yeah, this is a classic. Just really shows what a great, great singer uh, she is. And well, before we get into the essence of the song martin why don't you say the interesting connection so one of the co-writers of the song uh, it was written by mike hawker and Ivor raymond and mike hawker started writing the song around a month after he'd got married to gene Ryder, and he wrote it started writing it as a, as a sort of affirmation about his feelings for gene and the interesting thing about this is that gene Ryder was a member of both the Vernon Girls and of the group The Breakaways. She was a member of both of those bands with Vicky Brown, the wife of Joe Brown. So not one, but two connections. Amazing. I was saying to my other half earlier on, how would you feel if your partner wrote you a song (laughs) like this? Did she say she'd turn into goo? Because I would. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. What a song. This is amazing. I just love the song and definitely a Phil Spector influence within the production. Just a little touch of it. It wins because of Dusty's voice, though. Yes. I mean, that's obviously what sets it apart. What a voice she had. Oh, it has that kind of blue-eyed soul feel to her voice and it sings it with such conviction. And it had a bit of a girl group sound to it. But it had more maturity to it. And that's how she sounded throughout her career. I mean, just had this sophisticated sound to her voice. What a talent. Much like much of the Beatles' work, this is a song which hasn't aged a single day. It is still a brilliant, brilliant performance. And you can listen to it, and it's still a great song. It sure is. You're right. It really is ageless. All right. On to the last week, November the 28th. Eighth at number one again, she loves you back on the top of the charts, and it's gonna stay there until I want to hold your hand knocks it off. <laughs> wow, do you think this is in part because of the Royal Variety performance, Martin? Good evening, they've given me the honor this year of introducing the Royal Variety Show, not because I'm the oldest performer, just because I carry the most weight. <laughs> this is brought home to me on the day of the show as I walked in the stage door, all the fans started screaming. One young teenager turned to her mate and said, Oh, look, Elsie, it's the four Beatles trying to sneak in under one coat. (laughs) That was the Beatles music you heard just now. I know they were a big hit. They were as scared as the rest of us folks. One of them told me after the show that they hadn't been that scared since the day they came face to face with the barber. (laughs) But the Royal Variety Show was a big night for show business. It's a get-together of the cream of entertainers. And I was there too. Well, there's always a clot amongst the cream, isn't there? But seriously, though, folks, I know I'm speaking on behalf of the whole fantastic cast when I say it was a great honor for all of us to perform in front of Her Majesty the Queen Mother and Princess Margaret and the Earl of Snowden in support of the wonderful work being done every year by the Variety Artists Benevolent Fund. As you read in the papers, the evening turned out to be a big success. And our producer, Mr. Bernard Delphont, really went overboard to keep it that way. Well, that's enough for me for the moment, so let's get on with the epic. If you'll fasten your seatbelts, we'll fly back to the Prince of Wales Theatre last Monday evening, just before the Royal Party arrived. The Royal Variety Command show was right around this time. We'd like to carry on with a new song 
Uh, she loves you. One, two. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that had given it that bit of rise. Like I said, the more exposure that records get, I think more people hear them. And in this case, I think it helped. And again, the Royal Variety performance was a big thing in England. It was indeed, yeah. I think uh, people used to make a thing of it, even even later than this. When I came into being, the, the Royal Variety performance was something that you had to make time for, in a way, to sit down and watch. All right, at number thirty-two, a new song from Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, "Hungry for Love." I like this song. What's the use of worrying? You don't care about the mood I'm in. I just want to spend every week, every day, every hour with you. Oh, won't you change your mind and be a little kind? I'm so hungry for love. So hungry for love. So hungry for love. It's a moderate rocker. It's ever so slightly Mersey beat. It definitely has that sound. Really, I liked it except for the lyric. I just thought the lyrics sound like just sort of a typical poppy song of the time. Just, you know, I'm just the typical, I need to be with you all the time. Don't break my heart. Just thought the lyrics sounded very formulaic for that time, pop songs of the time. I mean, musically, it was fine. It's a rarity for the band, isn't it, really? Because normally, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates are very rock-based. Yeah, you're right. It's a little bit weird. You know, the previous song we had from Johnny Kidd and the Pirates was the one that you thought was kind of Please Please Me-ish, Kit, if you remember. Yeah. But their image and what they were going for was being a throwback band, being a 50s Elvis-style rocker band. And it's like, interesting. Yeah, this was kind of a weird song for them. I didn't love it. I mean, they did it well. I thought it was just the lyrics that made the song a little bit more average. I think if the lyrics had been better, you know, I would have liked it more. We're about to have one where we can all agree that the lyrics and the music just, oh. (laughs) Before we leave this one, I'll just say the, the saving grace on this song, Mick Green's guitar on this is incredible. Yes. I agree. I love those guitar stabs in the rhythm, and his guitar solo is amazing. Yes, I agree. It is okay to good. Mm-hmm. It's by no means a great record. Yeah. It, it's a perfect thing to show you why Paul, when he was doing this, the cover versions albums, why he would go to Mick Green both times with those rock and roll albums. It just shows you how good a guitarist Mick is or was. Yep. Before we go on to the terrible record, which ends the British charts here, at number 40, a great record, actually. Yesterday's Gone by Chad Stewart and Jeremy Clyde, better known as Chad and Jeremy. Yeah, they really had some beautiful records, and this is one of them. I didn't know it immediately from the title. It sounded vaguely familiar, and then as soon as I heard it, I'm like, yes, I know this. Yeah, it's really beautiful you know it has a bit of a folk sound to it but more obviously on the pop side with strings piano drums acoustic guitar which of course gives it a little bit of a folk sound horns you know, they had beautiful harmonies i like their stuff summer song was beautiful their songs were just very delicate ethereal just really loved and this is a very good example of their style <laughs> I loved you all the summer through I thought I'd found my dream in you For me, you were the one But that was yesterday And yesterday's gone We walked together hand in hand Lost miles and miles of golden sand Nice song that I really enjoyed. I love the music. The voices are gorgeous, the way that they harmonize together. But I put in my notes, because we watched the video to go with it, one of the chaps looks like he's about to fit you for some tailor-made shoes, and the other one looks (laughs) like you'll give him a call to get the IT equipment fixed. (laughs) 
<laughs> you look at them, it's very clear why no one could tell them and Peter and Gordon apart. Yes, I agree. They look very similar. <laughs> and people may know them these days because they played the faux Beatles, the Redcoats, on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Oh, wow. Post Sullivan, and obviously the Dick Van Dyke Show was based around a variety Sullivan-esque show. So when they did their Beatles-style episode, they bought on <laughs> Chad and Jeremy and... They did a lot of, you know, Hard Day's Night style gags. Oh, jeez. That's nice. Do you know what we call one of these in England? No, what? A chair. <laughs> Neither one of us are quite sure why it got such a big laugh. They loved it. And, and I guess it was because Jeremy's accent, American accent, was very good. It just, I don't know. I, to this day, I don't... I don't see why it got such a big laugh. It worked. It was great. I'm glad it did. My first wife was in, in the Dick Van Dyke show with us. Attractive brunette, quite tall. It's worth watching. The writers actually kind of got the Beatles style. You know, they make a reference to, you know, that love song, I Want to Hold Your Breath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they play one of their own songs. they also play a little bit of no other baby which is a oh, song wow. that paul mccarty would cover wow. oh wow okay i don't want no other baby but you oh yes i do i don't want no other baby but you hear me cry because no other baby the music was pretty lame. That wasn't really... It sort of worked because the whole idea was that we were this mythical duo. Dick Van Dyke Show fans know who Chad and Jeremy are because of that. Go watch that episode. The entire episode is on YouTube. It is very much stylistically, here is what the slightly hipper crowd thought of the Beatles in 1964. The entire Dick Van Dyke show in the UK is available on Amazon Prime, so it might be in the US. Oh, okay. That episode for sure is also on YouTube because I just watched it on YouTube. And, you know, there's Mary Tyler Moore. What what can you say about Mary Tyler Moore? Particularly (laughs) at that point in time. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, at number 41... The song which, for sure, put Brian Poole and the Tremolos on the back burner. No, they weren't going to be the next Beatles. Oh, my. The name of the song is I Can Dance. I have never heard a more cynical remake of a hit song. Yeah. You said you loved me, and I know it's true. So I'm going to dance, girl. All night with you. I can really move. I can work it on out. I'm in the groove. I can really move with your sweet, sweet love. A big, big love. I can dance. Well, you love me, baby. And I don't mean maybe. It's a big, big love. forgettable mashup of do you love me and do you want to dance thrown together yeah, how were how they not sued <laughs> i mean what talk about a ripoff and it's dreadful yeah i mean wow and i don't think we'd hear much more of brian Poole and the tremolos after this maybe a little bit but not too much up to this point they'd had a hit they'd had a couple of towards the top of the charts this was the point when decca must have said Oh, boy, did we make a mistake. (laughs) 
you can only go tremor lower and lower with the next one. Really? You think so? Well, hmm. Well, okay. Okay. That was me <laughs> me trying to, co- to create a segue there that didn't work. <laughs> All right, uh, so at number 47, uh, a name familiar with us. You know, I just mentioned Hard Day's Night in relation to the Redcoats and the Dick Van Dyke show. In the very same Royal Variety Command show that John Lennon made his famous Rattle Your Jewelry comment, which was much funnier than this entire record, by the way. (laughs) Wilbur Bramble and Harry Corbett, better known as Steptoe and Son, released parts one and two of Steptoe and Son at Buckingham Palace. Now, you have to keep in mind, particularly for American listeners here, I'm not really surprised that this was a hit during this time because Steptoe and Son, and and to American listeners, our show Sanford and Son was based on Steptoe and Son. Although Sanford and Son was entirely Red Fox. Yes. I mean, you know, (laughs) really kind of the only thing which carried over was the idea of the guy in the junkyard. Lamont wasn't even really looking to go up in his station in life. There was much more racial tones, but even that, there wasn't much. Sanford and Son was all about Red Fox. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, and, you know, and obviously, you know, American spin and, and so forth. I mean, you know, but the idea for Sanford and Son was based on uh, Steptoe and Son. But Steptoe and Son was extremely popular in Britain. And this was during, like, the height of its popularity. The stars of it, Wilford Bramble and Harry Corbett, would do these skits, these in-person skits. So this was one of their stage shows. For American audiences, admittedly, you know, I I listened to some of this and it went right over my head. (laughs) I mean, Martin, I don't know if if you got this more (laughs) than I did. Well, there's a lot of class satire in um, Step 2 and Son, which comes from the two characters where you've got the father, you know, the, the older Step 2, who is the scrap merchant, and then the son, who, like Ed said, you know, is he wants to go somewhere slightly different. He sees himself as being something else, and it was almost a way of his father would put him down and say, "Look, you can't go anywhere more than you are now." It was it was like saying that you are this class, you are working class, you'll never be at this class. And I don't think you realise the import of what you have done. I mean, they're not going to let this pass. I mean, they're very particular who they let in there. I mean, there's all sorts of natters in the country. They don't want dirty old men like you tramping all over their Cyril Nord. They've got some lovely stuff in there. Well, I expect they have. They've been collecting longer than us. What about that? I bet you've never seen as big a mallet as that, have you? That's his polo stick. <laughs> you nipped! He'll be looking for that. <laughs> you, you didn't nip it, did you? You didn't take it out of the umbrella stand? No, of course I didn't. So it was a satire on that and him trying to be better and then realising that he was being pulled away from his dreams by his dad constantly. Okay. Although- Wilfred would have been cast in Hard Day's Night by this point. Yeah, he would be doing that uh, I mean, you know, soon. Fe- February, March is when they started filming, so... Yeah, that's And of right. course, we have to remember that uh, Steptoe ran across many years, but they only did 10, 12 episodes at a time, then they'd take off for two years. So it seems like, you know, why would this be on the charts? Well, as I said, this was an extremely popular show. My father, Harry H. Corbett was a very shy man. He'd never leave the house without uh, sunglasses and hats, you know, to try and disguise himself, which was pointless, really, because he was Harold from Steptoe & Son, which was the most-watched show on British TV. It was hard to know how huge Steptoe was, but it, it was everywhere. We were on the holiday in Greece in a little taverna up in the mountains. Walked in, and there on the telly, there's Steptoe. And it was like, ah, oh, and all the locals, oh, he's Steptoe. And I think they were quite disappointed that he couldn't actually speak Greek to them because, of course, he was dubbed in the programme. He didn't know Greek. You could see why 
they would release this as a you know recording that well, and, and it was for out. charity too i mean and yeah. it was for charity exactly oh. there's exactly about three things that i found really really funny the the whole aide de camp thing i like that <laughs> wilfred goes off well there was that one fella aide de camp <laughs> it's like okay that's funny mm-hmm. uh we get exactly one dirty old man in there because oh. that was the catchphrase which of course is why in hard day's night he's such a clean old man. Yeah, he's very yep. clean. <laughs> and then at the end, when he pulls the crown out, I, I thought that was also funny. Yep. But other than that, yeah. Well, what's this? Is flat out? Oh, my God. It's the crown. If only we I- had salt mines. Shut up. Go Something right. I paid for that. I paid for it, I tell you. I got three marbles for it. Shut up. You went off it around. You're under arrest. It's not my fault. I was doing down the street, mate. Look, I fought for men like you in the 1914-18 war. Look, look, he's not responsible. He needs a medical certificate, mate. Honest, we didn't mean no disrespect. We're not Bolsheviks or nothing like that. And we, we slept out here all night till coronation, didn't we? Yeah, and we always stand up for the national anthem. Yeah, well, we never slide out before the picture ends, never. <laughs> You're under arrest! Uh, the goons, you can appreciate the humor. This, uh, it hasn't aged particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> or, as you said, Martin, it's also just cultural and that kind of thing because with Sanford and son, they definitely changed a lot of it. I mean, it was, you know, less about class and more about, as you said, Ed, it was a bit about race, bit about generational clashes, you know, that kind of thing. So it was uh, interesting. It's a similar sort of humor as the, the writers of it. Uh, I'm trying to remember Ray Galton and somebody else. I can't remember the other person. It's a similar style to what they were doing when, I don't know whether how much the Americans know about it, but they were doing the same sort of satire on class with mm. Hancock's Half Hour that they wrote for Tony Hancock as well. So, Because they were doing that at the same time as well. They were working with Tony Hancock and they were writing this. And so it's very much of a similar sort of look at how different classes were with each other and the differences between them. Interesting. Oh. All right, so that closes out the November charts on the British side. We will be back real soon with Side B, the American charts. See you soon. Take care. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said the Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? They introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermost. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that, they must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought how stupid that is. How stupid is is one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost.